welcome to the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, the podcast that follows three integral recovery practitioners on the journey of waking up, growing up, cleaning up, and showing up. Join us and our trailblazing guests as we apply the principles of integral recovery, daily practice, and the aqua map to transcend limitations, accelerate growth, and heal ourselves and hopefully the world. And now here are John Dupuy, Dr. Bob Weathers, and I'm Doug Prater with the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast, episode 13, The Healing Power of Forgiveness. Hi, I'm Bob Weathers, and really happy to be here with John Dupuy and Doug Prater in our Journal of Integral Recovery podcast. I'd like to introduce uh, uh, a meditation that uh, I first learned in the context of my early recovery, and it was uh, in my work with refuge recovery, uh, practicing mindfulness meditation. And one of the applications uh, is forgiveness practice. It comes out of the Buddhist tradition. And I'd like to uh, uh, say just one or two words about that and then just dive into the practice. The practice itself takes 10 minutes, uh, maybe 15 minutes. Uh, uh, so let me just say a word about this. In terms of my own work, I worked, through, uh, worked with a sponsor through the 12 steps um, uh, in AA and found this practice really useful as an adjunct to steps four and five, particularly in terms of inventory, and also steps eight and nine in terms of making amends. And it was my strong intuition at the completion of that year of working through the 12 steps that this practice, this forgiveness practice, might serve me well as a steady kind of um, reminder, uh, a form of accountability, but also a way to kind of keep things cleared out. And so for the last uh, five years or so, most of those last five years, I practice this every day, uh, every morning, as part of my uh, quiet time. More recently, owing to the fact that I've got a number of different things I'd like to accomplish in my quiet time, I've relegated this to probably twice a week. So about twice a week, I do I, I do this meditation. Um, I do actually more than that because I actually use this with clients, uh, recovery coaching clients that I see, as well as groups that I lead at a local treatment center. So the fact is I'm actually doing it more often, come to think of it. And uh, the response of clients, uh, uh, inpatient, outpatient clients, has been uniformly positive too. Uh, it doesn't always come easy, but that's, uh, uh, that's the case with so much of this work. We were just talking about this earlier, John and Doug and I. But this practice really yields huge dividends. And I, I, I've said this before to my friends here, and I'll say it right now, is that this practice is probably the centerpiece of my recovery practice. Um, and uh, you may find it useful to you. You may find it the center of yours. But I, I'm going to vouch for the fact that this is really um, the most meaningful part of my, my recovery practice is really focused around this pivot point. Cursed to me, I've never done this practice. I've never gone through what we're going to do here in a few minutes without it yielding really palpable benefit. I, I've never had a, a bad forgiveness practice session, it occurs to me. And uh, I'd like to offer it up to you. Let me, let me uh, definitely root this in gratitude to Noah Levine and George Haas and others within the refuge uh, recovery community that uh, taught me this uh, in workshop formats and evening group sessions. And I continue to be actively involved in refuge recovery, and I myself will oftentimes lead those groups with this practice. And again, the response is really very positive. So in that spirit, then, here's the practice. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you, first of all, to get comfortable in, in uh, where you're sitting or lying. I'm going to close my eyes. It helps to reduce 
distraction for me, and I encourage you to do the same. And unless that's uncomfortable for you, if, if, that, if that's the case, then don't, uh, don't close your eyes. I will do that. And we're going to start with just a few deep breaths and breath cycles in the spirit of uh, mindfulness of the breath practice. So a deep inhalation. Hold that, and then when you're ready, let that go. Beginning to slow down things. Another deep in-breath. And out-breath. Releasing. On the next in-breath, focus, if you can, on the sensations of the breath itself. Breathing in through the nose, down the throat, through your chest and down into where you can feel it in your belly. Follow that, hold that, and then release that when you're ready and feel the sensations of the release. Do the same thing once again. Thoughts will come in, they tend to, and for now, just put those thoughts, if you're able, on a shelf. Just set them aside for now and focus just on the sensations of the breathing. Two more breath cycles before we move on. Again, setting thoughts on the, on, on the shelf and bringing your attention, holding your attention as closely as possible to the breathing in and the breathing out, all the sensations of breathing. We do this breathing introduction intentionally. It's a wish to open our hearts and our bodies to the work that follows. And I find that it really serves. <clears throat> now what I want you to take a, a moment, a minute, let's say, uh, to think of somebody, somebody that you can hold in your mind and your heart for the next five or 10 minutes. Somebody um, that you've um, harmed in some way. <clears throat> it's likely that it was unintentional. Somebody that you've hurt or harmed that you would like to ask them for forgiveness. <clears throat> and this practice that we're doing today is an interior practice. We'll be doing it um, internally. You may choose to follow this out afterwards, literally with this individual, but that's not assumed here at all. So this allows you the freedom to pick somebody that you'd like to ask forgiveness from them and that you can do that uh, in your interior world. So take a moment now to find someone uh, that you've harmed and, uh, and specifically so. And then I'll, I'll guide us through a meditation that will unpack uh, this interaction. Okay, <clears throat> now that you have somebody in mind, follow me through nine different stations of forgiveness practice. We'll move quickly through these, but there'll be nine different positions, or as I say, stations that will 
will be <clears throat> holding inside. And the aim here is to not move through this quickly or in a rote way. I find myself with each one of these moments of pausing that I don't move forward until I've actually felt connection to what it is that, that I'm uh, addressing. And I encourage you to do the same. So we'll begin. I want, want each of us in our mind's eye to say to the individual that we're holding within the following. For whatever I have done to you or not done for you, causing you harm, please forgive me. I believe it's very helpful in doing uh, these next three um, <clears throat> resting points, meditation points, to focus, if you're able, on what it might have felt like to the individual that you have in mind, what it might felt, what it might have felt like for you to do or not do whatever whatever happened, uh, what it felt like to them, and so it's asking for compassion or empathy for their experience. I find that this really helps to deepen this, this particular uh, piece of the practice. So again, in your mind, in your heart, for whatever I have done to you or not done for you, causing you harm, please forgive me. Moving on, same situation, same person. For whatever I have said to you or said against you, causing you harm, please forgive me. Next, for whatever I have thought about you or thought against you, causing you harm, please forgive me. Notice how we've moved from actions to words to thoughts, increasing subtlety. Okay. Now that's the first of three complete passes through. The next pass will be three stations, and each one of these is going to be a reversal of what we just did. So let's start with this. <clears throat> Same person. For whatever you have done to me, or not done for me, causing me harm, I forgive you. Now this can be tricky for some, from some situations. I found it that way. 
but see if you can find the other half of the interaction that is something that this person may have done or not done for you, which hurt you. And I found also through a few years of this practice that in order to forgive someone else in the way that we're talking about right now, it helps me immeasurably to imagine why they might have done what they did. It's not the same as excusing. It's more about understanding. And it requires another kind of empathy or compassion to imagine into what might have motivated this person to do whatever they did. So let's try that one more time. For whatever you have done to me or not done for me, causing me harm, I forgive you. Next, for whatever you have said to me or said against me, causing me harm, I forgive you. Next, for whatever you have thought about me or thought against me, causing me harm, I forgive you. Okay, so the first pass through was asking for forgiveness. The second was offering forgiveness. And now here's the third, third and final pass, and this will be three stations along this way too. And I believe that this is the deepest part of the practice. <clears throat> Certainly has been in my own experience. We go back to the initial request for forgiveness, but with a different twist thinking of the same person, the same situation. For whatever I have done to you or not done for you, causing you harm, I forgive myself. Just a brief note here. Just as we granted compassion or empathy in the previous two passes through forgiveness, I found it really useful here for me to give the same to myself, self-compassion or self-empathy. It helps me a lot in forgiving myself if I can understand or comprehend what might have led to my doing whatever I did to hurt someone else. Again, it's not about excuses. It's about holding a deeper understanding of context and, and, and through the eyes of compassion. And now it's turned towards ourselves. So let's try that one more time. For whatever I have done to you or not done for you, causing you harm, I forgive myself. Next, for whatever I have said to you 
or set against you, causing you harm, I forgive myself. And finally, for whatever I have thought about you or thought against you, causing you harm, I forgive myself. Okay, that's the practice. I hope that you'll find it useful in your own growth and development. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Mm. Well, do we want to um, talk about forgiveness? So what has been, I'll just throw this out, you know, what has been your biggest challenge? Has it been forgiving others or forgiving yourself? Or is that pretty much balanced? For sure, for sure. For me, it's been forgiving myself, John. I have difficulty oftentimes, two pieces of the meditation, uh, the lesser and the greater. The lesser challenge for me is when I'm asking for forgiveness from somebody is finding something that I have to forgive them for. So that's a tough one for me. I tend not to hold grudges. In fact, I tend not to remember offenses, I think probably to a fault. So that's very instructive for me to look at it at, at a forgiveness as a relationship, as an interaction. That's not been simple, but the far graver <laughs> challenge for me has been forgiving myself. And, and I'll say this, I've said it uh, before in our conversations, John and Doug, is that, that when I started uh, into recovery, 10 years ago and five years ago in in abstinence-based recovery, um, the idea, particularly in the last five years, the idea that I was going to have to be talking about not only my addiction, but the wreckage from my addiction, and that it was going to be posted all over the internet, et cetera, the idea that this would be so public. And now I was going to be going to support groups where I was going to be talking about the darkest most tangled up parts of my behavior and my psyche was just like, shoot me now, just put an end to this, please. It was just, it was horrible beyond imagination. And I really do believe that day by day, going to meetings regularly and this practice, particularly face to face and also working the steps for me has really opened this up to where I still have, I still have challenges, John and Doug. There's still some residual stuff there. It's not completely gone. it's, I'm not the same person I was five years ago. If there's been one change in me um, that I could note, besides not drinking and not using, it's this that, this, that that I can stand in front of a group of people or I can stand with you as my friends and share things about myself that, that I concretely would not have happened five years ago, four years ago, three years ago. And the upshot of that is that, I, that that's what's going on inside of me. There's more and more acceptance. I still have... I don't know what percentage of me that can get really triggered into shame, and it's a, it's devastating. Why well, it has been devastating, but it doesn't have the critical mass, or the the uh, it doesn't have the same traction at all anymore. And that's been the, the greatest grace of all in recovery has been around what we're talking about. And your question pinpoints it. It's it's about self forgiveness for me. Mm-hmm. Well, Doug, you're young, but have you accumulated some guilty sins? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Life full of horrors, I assure you. Good old bag of, you know, stuff. No, Bob, I really appreciate this practice because 
forgiving myself for uh, some of the things that I have been through has been one of the most challenging parts of my recovery too. In fact, uh, I went to, uh, I participated in, um, in an inpatient recovery when I was living in Austin. This is near the beginning of the period when I realized that I had the disease and I took a long time from that point to finally get sobriety and make it stick. And I think that lack of the ability to forgive myself yeah. was a driving factor in in why it, it took so long. Um, I remember doing an exercise at a recovery called The Ranch there in Austin where we were supposed to write a letter forgiving ourselves for the things that we had done wrong. And I struggled with that more than any of the other exercises that we did. I wrote this letter with some resistance and did the most heartfelt job that I could, put as much as of myself into it as I could. But despite writing those words down and despite doing my best to release it at the time, I had a very difficult time feeling through it and letting go. And I think that it's the continual repetition of this and the understanding of the fact that it is a process and a gradual peeling back of layers that needs to be repeated daily, weekly, for years or the rest of our lives is important to keep with you as you're doing this and working with this. And Bob, I'm so grateful that you have provided this now as a tool that, that I can use and that everyone can use and working through it and Thank getting you, to let these things go. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. You reminded me of something. And John, if I've learned this from anybody, it's from you is that just as with working out or developing a skill such as guitar playing or drumming, is that I, I, if I want to build up my abs, I don't do sit-ups one day and then I'm all good to go. In fact, I have to ease into it. It takes a long time and it's daily practice. It actually is the image of working out for me that I think of oftentimes with forgiveness is that it's, uh, and when I introduce this to people, for example, in, in a treatment center environment, they'll have an experience. Some people will have a pretty amazing experience. I don't think a lot of people have a neutral experience but it doesn't take long. It's, it doesn't take for long. Just as just as doing a bunch of sit-ups or practicing your scales one day takes. It's the daily work of it. And it's the funny thing. Sometimes the image I'll do is I'll walk over to the door, a door jam when I'm presenting this to a group, and I'll ask them, how many of you had parents or caregivers that would mark your growth on a door jam by the year, you know? Uh, my parents didn't do this, but I've seen other people, and a lot of people will acknowledge, oh, yeah, they did that. And I said, it's just exactly like that to me with this practice. In the subjective experience of self-compassion or self-forgiveness, I cannot possibly detect my progress on a day-to-day or even month-to-month basis. But but it's 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 as if God's supplying the marking on the, the, the door jam. Yeah. And at some point, I can guarantee you that it just grew two feet. <laughs> right, right. That's six months later, a year later, a year and a half, you look back and go, wow. That's a year exactly and a half ago, it was that's, way different. Yeah, you know? yeah. My journaling shows it, John, because I, I know that all three of us do a fair bit of, of uh, writing and journaling and so on. And so I can really sit in my journaling. I can go back a year or two years, forget about five years. And it's, it's, it's a completely different person. It's really extraordinary. It's like... It's like um, if you could have, if you could have written a diary as a little boy, you know, and then see it in adolescence, and then see it in young adulthood, and then see it in middle age, it's like that for me. It's really extraordinary. So, uh, Doug, it really is. Sometimes the image I have is it's laying down one strand 
a day laying down one little strand and they're indetectable except that they begin to build up, build up, build up. And then at some point you've got some foundation that's pretty unshakable and it's, and it's sizable. It's like the mountains outside of where you live, John, they're visible. <laughs> and, and I really do feel this. I have to tell you because I use this work so much clinically as well as personally, it starts personally is that I, I think sometimes this is what clients are drawn to, is that they can see this. They can see this, that, that I am, we're all in this together. I am one of them, they are one of me. And that somehow or another, this work shows through. And I give complete credit to Grace for this, because I yeah. believe it comes through, is that I'm not afraid to face this stuff uh, in, in a way that I was not so long ago. And not afraid for them to bring themselves to me, and there's no judgment is this practice absolutely transforms whatever judgment there might have been towards myself and towards others uh, in, into something that's palpable. And I think people actually see it and they'll comment on it. They'll, they'll say, you're not like other therapists or counselors. And I think it's something about this practice, to be honest with you. Yeah. And then there's a certain brokenness that comes with this. Yeah. You know, you, you, the, the ice is broken or the rock is broken so the water can come through and people just recognize that. Yeah. Thank you, you John. Know. You but commented I, on that personally, John, and I appreciate that. It helps to reinforce it, to have it named because it actually keeps me close to the practice, knowing that that door jam, I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing. So your feedback, John, over these last years has been really helpful to me. Really to me. It can be very hard to recognize it in yourself. So that feedback is important. It's like, looking yeah. in the mirror every day and you don't recognize the change because yeah. it becomes so familiar. But when you yeah. look back at a picture of yourself from years ago and you say, I looked so young then yeah. I had not recognized the changes and the differences in myself from not this practice, which I'm very grateful for, but from my other meditation yeah. practice until my wife commented mm. fairly recently that mm. over the time she's known me, my presence and my sense of, uh, authenticity and, and confidence to go out into the world has changed. She recognized this shift and it was an incredible feeling and a great motivator to continue doing what I'm doing. It's wonderful. To, yeah. yeah. You know, and you also have to be willing to experience the feelings of self-hatred and self-loathing yes. and shame, yes. you know, and just say, thank you, teacher. And just be totally, and then the mindfulness is a big help with that, you know, or you can call it the expanded sense of self or the witness self, the observer self. And somehow it's not dissociating from it, but you're holding it in this kind of bigger, compassionate container at the same time you're letting it do its worst, you know. And I think it's the avoiding of those feelings that yeah. get us in so much trouble, you know. Either we become dissociated just psychologically or we use drugs or other activities or whatever to numb us, to take us away from that. Mm-hmm. And it's the final confrontation with the old uh, awful drugs of uh, the dragons, I would brother, of, of self-hatred mm-hmm. that allow us to finally tame those. And mm-hmm. there's so much energy there that if we well, don't me, deal with it, it's... No, you just reminded me of something. Let me, let me jump in with this, if I may. Is There's so many things that could have been offered as a prayer to the practice itself because there's been so much reflection on this over the years but you just touched on one piece and uh, it's this is that the practice I did today was with my life partner Colleen Uh, the practice I do tomorrow will probably be with my life partner, Colleen, Mm. and the next day and the next day. Mm. So my work is centered around those closest to me and it's it's a pecking away at that and I, I really appreciate your naming that is that I don't want to I don't want to give anybody the illusion uh, of some uh, something that they might or might not experience, which is 
it's like a epiphany and I'm all, I'm all good with Colleen forever. I'm all good with my boss or I'm all good with my deceased parents. I continue to work regularly with a handful of people. They get the, they probably get 80% of the work, honestly. And it's just to acknowledge the truth of what you've said is that self-compassion to go down, it requires multiple repetitions again and again over the years with the same individuals, sometimes around the same interaction, because you can feel like you've made some headway, but you're not nearly through it. And so I just want to name that. It's a very humbling part of this, is that it's not a one, it's not a one-shot deal at all. It's repeating, repeating, repeating. In fact, what happens is the subtlety. You, you notice in that meditation how you move from the most overt action to more subtle in terms of words that I've said against you to the even more subtle thoughts that I might have had about you. The truth is oftentimes is that these individuals won't be aware of what I said. They won't be aware of, of what I thought. And it's like the subtlety of allowing yourself to feel into that and to still extend that to them and vice versa. I have people that I can't imagine them saying something bad about me. And so the way that I do that myself, I go, well, if they were to say something bad about me, what would that be? And let me forgive that. And so I guess what I'm suggesting is that, man, you get to where it's really fine-tuned, just like with your guitar yeah. playing, Don and Doug, more and more fine-tuned and more and more nuanced. And that there is, like you said, Doug, there's no end in sight for me with this. I only wish, if anything, that I could have started way younger. <laughs> well, hopefully people will if we do our work right, you know. Yeah, so, that's my yeah. hope, too. That's my hope, too. Yeah. You know, and I had to switch forgiveness horses, like, in that meditation when it came to forgiving that person. I don't remember one unkind thing, any resentment. It's like, okay, well, this person's easy. <laughs> you know, and I just had to bless that person. I couldn't make up stories about well, what if she had or whatever? It was just like, no, 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 I, I a, just can't remember it. Yeah, I've got a couple people like that. My sixth grade teacher, Miss Todd, and my high school German teacher, Mr. Hayes. I've got plenty of things to ask them for forgiveness for. They're both deceased now, but they're both very alive inside of me. But honestly, it'd be like squeezing blood out of a, uh, what is it, blood out of a turnip? I can't yeah. remember. There's no, there's just, there were no injuries with them. They were very significant in my life. And so to, artifact, or to artificially create something seems really false. So I don't do it with them. There are people that it's less apparent for me that if I imagine into it, I can imagine whether they've done it or not. Mr. Hayes and Miss Todd, you know, they've got a free pass. <laughs> you know, sometimes it takes that imagining into it to reveal things that might have been there, but hidden as well. It's not always easy to see until you really allow yourself to dive in and start to explore. Uh, certainly, I That's very have good. found a lot of that in my own work and my own journaling, too, as I look yeah. back. People that I hurt in ways that I wasn't even conscious of at the time until I started to think back on it. And learning to release those things is tremendously freeing as well. Yeah, I picked something this morning. I won't show the exact content out of out of respect for privacy, but I picked something so minor that you guys would laugh at it. Probably if I told you what it was, it's something with Colleen. It's not something we've discussed yet. We will discuss it later today, I'm sure. It's so minor. It might even be minor to her. That's not the point. It's about keeping the system cleared out. And I've you know, I've definitely dealt with some massive, massive uh, wrongs and hurts and so on. This would not classify as one of those. found it very useful, and I did it in good faith throughout our entire exercise. So it really, uh, it doesn't matter what you pick. As long as you just keep working this, 
Um, yeah, you have good days working out. You have lackluster days working out. You do the work anyway, right, John? Right, absolutely. You know, you know I, I saw this video with Joe Bonamassa, I think it was mm -hmm. last night, and he's arguably one of the best rock blues guitarists on the planet right now. He's, yeah, he's yeah. a masterful guitar player and a real humble guy, you know, in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. And he started like opening up for BB King when he was 11 years old. He, you know, parents had to let him up, you know, yeah. uh, often in, in the summer so he could tour with BB, you know. <laughs> but anyway, one thing you said, you said every day he looks forward to playing the guitar to see what he's going to learn, mm -hmm. you know. And you see him play, and it's like, is there any lick this guy hasn't mastered, you know, with great precision? And it's no, you never get there. And to have the kind of attitude to practice, even though sometimes we have to, uh, you know, me, it's like 50, 50, 50%, 50% light, 50%, you know, darkness. I, you know, it's like I, I was talking to Don Estes and he was one of the early pioneers of LSD before it was illegal. He said, I never had a bad trip. And I was going, oh my God, did I get jacked down into hell? <laughs> my tortured soul, you know, so a bunch, you know, and sometimes I would have these epiphanies and great, and, and I'm not just drug induced, but in my own spiritual practice, I've, I've really been called. <laughs> To, yeah. to maybe not have so much, you know, just to, to deal with, with, the, with the pain. And to do that, you have to, uh, you have to transform because yeah. your little fragile ego can't deal with it. So you gotta, you know, you have to have grace or you have to get this expanded sense of self or, you know, this way to get through that. And, and, and once you, you know, I mean, eventually you become to trust the darkness mm -hmm. as a teacher, you know, you get through it a few times and go, okay, well, it's not exactly going to be, you know, watching Roger Federer and, you know, U.S. Open <laughs> in the finals where he just mm -hmm. turned to, you know, tennis god or something. But, you know, you learn to trust that that suffering is is uh, accepting, accepted is is noble and causes us to grow and suffering rejected just multiplies itself into more suffering. That seems yeah. to be the, the I just I just published on our on our uh, um, Journal of Integral Recovery Facebook group the last two days, and you all may have seen these two poems in consecutive days. Um, I published them in the same day, uh, both by Rilke, the German poet Rilke, and both of them uh, are uh, poems that really embrace darkness, and neither poem is depressing. <laughs> in fact, I was talking to Colleen about it last night. Both poems are incredibly affirming. In fact, it was uh, the second of those two poems, along with the meditation, John, that inspired me to create a piece of music, which for me also includes some pretty dark atonality or dissonance, but it doesn't feel depressing or hopeless at all. In fact, it's very strongly for me, a hopeful strand that comes through. But it's just interesting that it comes, that both are there commingled in Rilke. He's the master of that, to my mind, in his poetry. But to think of how that comes through in your guitar playing, how it comes through in, in art that moves you, certainly how it comes through in your spiritual practice. There's something about being able to hold both of those that makes me less and less fearful just to live a whole existence. Um, I'm really grateful for that. I'm less phobic about the dark now. I find myself drawn to poetry like Rilke's or T.S. Eliot was something Colleen and I were talking about. His poetry, which can be incredibly uh, dark at times, but is in the context of spiritual uh, hope and faith and love. It's really, it's, I, want, I, want, I want the whole enchilada. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was uh, working on a new piece of fiction just a couple of weeks ago and got to the end of this scene, looked back on it and said, this was a whole lot darker than I had intended. I did not mean to go to the place that I went with it, but uh, I guess it was important work that I had to do. And 
it worked too for establishing what is happening later and the overarching tone of hope. And I guess that's one of the reasons that writing fiction, especially, and it's certainly poetry too, or music is such a powerful tool for processing this stuff. If you allow it to come through without judging and yeah, that, that's it. That is, that is what you were talking about, John, the learning to be comfortable with the darkness and, and allowing these things to be present and express as they will um, is a powerful learning tool. I wanted to add as well that uh, we continue to show up every day in the best way that we can with this stuff. And there are some days when it is easier than others. There are some days that we will be better than others. There are some days when we are forgiving ourselves for these very minor infractions because of the progress that we have made, but we continue to show up and do our best day after day. One of the books that I have always enjoyed that I periodically go back and reread is called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Um, The the fourth of which is always do your best, whatever that is on any given day, just keep showing up and working with them. Yeah, yeah, and oftentimes it's it's the the experiences where we're not being a great success. You know, we feel like we fell on our face or we didn't reach the mark is where we grow and we learn the most. So uh, not when everything goes super good, uh, but when things are challenging. That we, yeah, yeah I love the four agreements. You want to say them? <laughs> uh, let's see. Can can I remember them off the top of my head? Okay, let me see. Uh, don't take it personally. Yes, don't take anything. Uh, don't personally. make assumptions. Mm-hmm. Don't make assumptions. Do your best and be, imp- impeccable, be impeccable with your with word. Impeccable with your word. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the the two that really get me is don't make assumptions and don't take it personally. Yes. The other ones I can. Yeah, you know, I'm about 75, 80%. Most of, you know, I'm pretty good, but man, it's hard when somebody is just does a really nasty thing to you to so not take it personally and don't make assumptions, you know, because it may be not a, it's not about you. You know, it may be something that happened. They're just having, you know, projecting something. And then when you don't do that, it's an amazing, a non dual kind of uh, uh, catalyst, you know, you just kind of, well, that's what the ego does. And you say, I can't do that. Well, then I have to do something else. Yikes. Expansion. Well, you know, yeah, and both those things play remarkably in. well into forgiveness too. Yeah, that's what I just wanted to say too. Yes. It links into uh, the way that Carl Jung and his prize pupil was Maria Louisa, Louisa von Franz, and she wrote beautifully about projection. But it's really implied what you were just talking about, John. You're right on, Doug. It's really implied in forgiveness practices that if I don't do this work, then I'm almost guaranteed, according to von Franz, I'm almost guaranteed to project it out. In fact, that's oftentimes the way that we can find out what we need to ask for forgiveness for is to find out who we're judging uh, and and also with ourselves to find out find out who we're projecting our stuff onto and her image I've always loved this image from from Francis that you reel in the projections like a fisherman reeling in a fish with a, a fishing line you reel those in and I think this forgiveness practice is one very effective skillful means for doing the reeling in of projections yeah I had a I had a client one time who, who was a pedophile Catholic priest you know, talk about like putting me in the zone where I just had to go in a completely different, you know, I mean, uh, oh man, you, you know, and, and, and I'm a cultural Catholic, grew up Catholic and everything. And man, I had just gotten so enraged at times yeah. with this ongoing crime uh, against children. And I was like, what? You know, why did you put this guy in my lap? You know? And um, I mean, he was prepared, was basically preparing him to go to prison, you know? I mean, and, and this whole process of, 
of not letting off the hook, but at the same time, you know, I mean, he had been molested as a child, you know, and he's saying they just, you know, and he was trying to go to his superior and say, I'm fucked, you know, I'm screwed up. I'm uh, help me, help me, help me. He didn't get that kind of support. Nobody wanted to look in that doorway. So, you know, and otherwise a delightful, intelligent, sensitive human being, you know, it's like, Oh my God. You know, and I have this thing where this guy from my past, who's rock and roll hall of fame. I grew up with him as a kid and he, going through some dark stuff also seemed to involve pedophilia and everything like that. And should I just shun him because I'm so disgusted by the sin or should I open my heart? And, you know, I mean, there for, for the grace of God go, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Uh, I know if I were there, you know, I could kill easily to protect children from something like this. You know, I mean, I have that kind of you know thing. So all of the, you know, these questions, I mean, uh, uh, how do we do that? You know, how do we, and, and, you know, what is my motivation? And, and it's just really, it's really challenging. Yeah, I know that we're running out of time here, but let me mention this in response to what you just said, John, is that in the forgiveness literature and psychology, there's a very important distinction made. And I have to tell you guys, it comes up for me when I teach forgiveness practice to groups of, of clients, for example, there'll be people that say, do I forgive? Like the, the examples you just gave, John, they, they evoke it. From, it's so beyond the pale, you know, it's so wrong. yeah for having so abused others and so on. And the distinction in, this, in, in the psychological literature is between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is an interior piece for me in terms of really relinquishing control over something and moving towards uh, what in the 12-step programs we talk about with the serenity prayer, moving towards acceptance. But that acceptance does not mean uh, excusing nor denying responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so you can send somebody to prison, like what you were saying, somebody who's going to prison, you can forgive that person and not reconcile with them. Reconciling would be to move into a relationship. And I think there's a real place for boundaries around conscience and around personal safety and so on. It's very helpful to clients to make that distinction that, that in the program we talk so much about resentment being the bane of our existence as regards, you know, sustained successful recovery. I've got to find some way to work through these resentments. Well, here's a practice that can help us do that day yeah. in, day out. That does not equal, does not equal reconciliation. There right. are clients, people that we know, as well as ourselves, where have been violated by relationships in the past that to reconcile would be to be naive to the extreme. Well, yeah, we don't forgive because they deserve it. Maybe they do, but in many cases they don't. Mm -hmm. It's not like this justice thing. It's like, I just can't hold on yeah. to this hatred and anger and That's resentment it. and That's just, it. you know, wanting to kill this person for the last 30 years, you know, That's at it, some John. point you That's just... It. It's about me yeah. and me needing to be the person I need to be. And I have to do this work and I have yeah. to go. I just, I just offered this class on forgiveness practice just this life last week, you guys. And there was a man sitting to my left in the group and you could see that he was having an aha experience. He's going to say something that we know, but it was something so precious about seeing this come to his mind and his spirit, maybe for the first time where he said, Dr. Bob, I think I just got it. The hatred I felt, he was talking about a relationship, a former relationship in which he'd been betrayed. The hatred I have towards her, which has been murderous rage, he says, yeah. I'm the one that suffers with that. She goes on her way. I'm the one that suffers. This takes me down and out. And you can just feel it, it, it kind of like coagulating inside for him to realize, I've got to do this work for myself. I can't possibly control what happened, but I've got to do this work for myself, or I will relapse as soon as I walk outside the doors of this of the street. That's it. It's a beautiful thing that he shared, and it's really about that, isn't it? Uh, how does the Bible put it in terms of burning coals of hell? Uh, 
burning coals. Yeah, yeah. It says, uh, 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 love your enemies. This is from Proverbs. It's not Jesus. Jesus probably, you know, riffing off that, but it's in Proverbs. It says, love your enemies because in doing so, you heap coals of uh, hot coals upon their head or something like that. I paraphrase it. But yeah, it's like, you know, you're expecting this rage and you get compassion, you know, it's like, and uh, that's what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, well, and and I think a little deeper than heaping coals, but he said, if you want to destroy your enemies, make them your friends, Mm. you know? Yeah. And if we look at that as an interior thing, if I want to the enemies of myself and my own view coming out of, out of psychology on the one hand, on the other hand, living through what I've lived through, my own chief enemy is the self-annihilating shame that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Forgiveness is liberating of shame. That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. I can be paralyzed by shame the rest of my life. I can project that onto others and judge others, or I can withdraw the projections, do this interior work, cleanse myself of the heaping coals of, of whatever, and uh, and let my enemies uh, uh, evaporate away over time. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the interior practice. So I can take what Abraham Lincoln said, do that work internally. And as you find in some of the Eastern scriptures, who's, who's an enemy? There's, there's no such thing as enemy. Yeah, there is only one, one person here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Gentlemen, that was beautiful. And I think that's a good place to wrap up for this episode. Mm. Excellent. Thanks, Doug. Thank you. Thanks, John. Yeah. Thank and thank you, everybody. God bless. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by iAwake Technologies. Visit IntegralRecoveryInstitute.com slash iAwake for the best meditation tracks to support your daily recovery practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, visit us on iTunes and hit subscribe for a new episode every Friday. While you're there, you can help others share the journey and the joy of integral recovery by leaving your five-star rating and a quick review. We're grateful for your support, and we'll see you next time on the Journey of Integral Recovery podcast.